morning, everybody. How are you today? Certainly. I set my alarm clock two hours ahead by a mistake. I'm grumpy. <laughs> I'm just giving you fair warning, okay? So I'm doing fine, but good day. You're a little bit of the remnant. There's going to be, just to give you a little bit of a heads up, there's going to be some people that come in in about 30 minutes or so. They're going to think, church is just starting. They're like, why are you guys done? Just be nice to them, okay? All right, so we're in the middle of a series now called The God Who Sees Me. I believe there is a God who sees me. I believe there's a God who sees you. There's a God who sees every single one of us, no matter where we are, what's going on. He sees us. And if he sees us, he also hears us. And if he hears us, it's because he's with us all the time. And it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what time your alarm clock went off. It doesn't matter if you're tired. It doesn't matter any of those things. God sees you and he hears you and he's with you. And that makes all the difference in the world. So let's pray together and then we're going to look into scripture. Okay, Father, thanks for your goodness to us. You are always good, always faithful, always present. And I'm grateful to you for those things. And Lord, I ask on this morning that you would be uh, obvious to us here. Make your presence known to us today, right here. And through the rest of our journey today and into this week, just make your presence obvious to us. And we will respond to you with love and worship and faithfulness and obedience. That's our desire. Lord, now open your book up to us. Open your heart up to us. Let us know you and be connected to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this whole idea that there is a God who sees me is predicated on this thought that there is a God. There's no God who sees you if there is no God, right? And it's kind of interesting in our culture, there is a growing number of people who are adopting the position in life that there is no God. There's more and more people in our culture who are saying, I'm an atheist, not an agnostic, not someone who just says, I, I don't really know. I don't, there might be a God, there might not be a God, I don't really know. That's agnostic. There are more people in our culture who are saying, I am an atheist, which is faith that there is no God. And that's what atheists are, right? There are people who have faith that there is no God. And that number of people is growing in our culture for who knows how many kinds of reasons. When you come to this idea that there is a God who sees me, there must be a God. And we're, we're just trying to figure out what that looks like. And I don't know where people who are atheists land on this. I don't know if they just look at, they look at the universe and go, it's too big. And I don't see God out there. And we haven't found him. We've, we've searched light years away or whatever. And we haven't found him. And so he must not be there. I don't know how they get to that. Or do they come to a place in their life where they go, this bad thing happened. Therefore, there cannot be a God. This bad thing happened in my life, therefore there cannot be a God. Or this bad thing happened in the world, therefore there can't be a God. Or this bad thing happened in the name of religion, therefore there can't be a God. For some people who choose the path of atheism, it's because I believe, because they think something happened in their life that made them believe that God does not exist. You ever had a moment like that? I know I'm talking to a bunch of people that are believers in God. I know, you know, and there may be some of you who are investigating God and you're not sure yet. Maybe you're an atheist. Maybe you're an agnostic. I don't know, but you're investigating and that's awesome. But a lot of you are in a spot where you go, no, no, I believe in God. 
I believe he's here. I believe he sees me. I believe those things. But even then, even for you, do you ever get to a spot where something happens that makes you just go, oh, maybe God does not exist? I want to turn that question around because that's a question that skeptics will often ask. Look at this thing or look at that thing. That makes me believe God does not exist. I want to turn it around sometimes because sometimes you go, you know, if evil exists in the world, how could there be a God? And I just want to turn the question around and go, you know, if good exists, how could there not be? We want to blame God for the bad. We don't want to give him credit that the fact, for the fact that there's good. I want to think through a little bit farther today. If there is anything that says to us that God lives, that God exists, that God, in fact, can see us and hear us and be with us. So we're going to look at a scripture in Exodus chapter 3 today. And so if you have your copy of the Bible, why don't you pull it out and open to Exodus chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some on the rows near you there on the chairs. So you can reach over and grab one of those and uh, follow along with us. You're welcome to open up your smartphone or your tablet or whatever you use the Bible on. If you're sitting there, you got somebody next to you sitting there on the phone, you think they're texting, they might be reading the Bible. Be nice to them, okay? Or maybe they're tweeting. Maybe like, oh, I'm going to tweet that out to my whole blogosphere. <laughs> leave them alone. They're doing a good thing, okay? All right. And if they're just cruising Facebook, leave them alone anyway. It's all right. All right, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Here's how the story goes. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Let's stop there think this through a little bit. Moses was on the run. In chapter 2 of, of Exodus, you find out that he had committed murder. He grew up as a prince in Egypt. He was the adopted son of Pharaoh, so he's got all the privileges, but he killed a guy, tried to cover it up, tried to bury the guy under a pile of sand, and he got discovered, and so he's on the run. And he flees out into the desert into a wilderness called Sinai, or also known as Horeb, and he's out there on the run. He comes across a man who he meets, and they kind of become friends. And the guy says, hey, you seem like a nice guy. Why don't you marry my daughter? Which, gentlemen, that's not how it goes. When the guy comes to say, can I marry your daughter? You, you ask him questions like, have you ever killed anybody? So anyway, the guy gives him his daughter anyway, so now he's got, a, he's got a friend and he's got a wife, and now the friend gives him some sheep, and so he's got these sheep that he's leading around through the desert, and it says he leads them over to the far side of the wilderness, which I don't know how you go with this, and maybe it's too early on a, on a, on a um, daylight savings morning, but I can't help thinking about the far side of the wilderness and think about Gary Larson at the same time. <laughs> Do you know Gary Larson? The, the far side. That's like, it's in the Bible. The far, it's in, so I just have to show you some things. This is Moses' life. I used to be somebody, big executive, my own company, and then one day someone yelled, hey, he's just a big cockroach. Or this one. Say, what's a mountain goat doing way up here in a cloud bank on Mount Sinai? <laughs> Sorry, that's just free. That has nothing to do with anything. That's just, I love that. <laughs> just jump, fool. You don't have to go boing, boing, boing. <laughs> 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 
hey, Viv, guess what? After we go to the drugstore and the post office, I'm going to the vets to get tutored. <laughs> guess what, everybody? You're going to get tutored today at church. Run for the exits. All right, sorry, that just has nothing to do with anything. It's just fun. He comes to Horeb. He's out on the far side of the wilderness in Horeb. The word Horeb means wasteland. He's in the wasteland. And we sometimes go, oh, it's Mount Sinai. It's holy. It's this holy place. It's this amazing place. It's a desert. It's a stinking desert. It's in the wasteland. And that's exactly where God shows up to meet Moses. You may not live in a desert. You may not have a cabin in the desert. You may not have a hut there, but sometimes you live there. Sometimes you live in the wasteland of life. Don't you? I mean, isn't that kind of how life goes? Sometimes, sometimes it's green and lush and wonderful and fantastic, and sometimes it's just wasteland. And in the wasteland, God meets Moses. And sometimes I think in my life, it's like, wow, when everything's beautiful and up and to the right and everything's lush in my life, it's like, well, that's when God is there. And when you come to the scriptures, what you find out is so often we have a hard time finding God when everything's up and to the right. It's a lot easier to see God in the wasteland. It's a lot easier to hear God in the wasteland because we start looking for him and we start listening for him. Here's Moses on the far side of the wasteland, and the angel of the Lord appears to him. Now, the angel of the Lord, we saw him last week. Uh, If you weren't with us last week and you missed that talk on Abram and Sarai and Hagar, go back and get it online. Go back and check that out. But what happens, there's this woman who's running away, and the angel of God meets her, and now the same character runs into Moses. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses through a burning bush which I would personally like to see that. Here's this bush. He comes to this bush. It's on fire. That's not unusual. But it's not burning up. That's unusual. And I, I don't know, if he's, since he's on the far side, I think that's just God saying, Major, look. I don't know. We don't have a category for this in our lives. We don't have a category for burning bush. We know the term. I think even a lot of people that don't know the Bible very well, really don't participate in church at all, they sort of know that there's the idea of a burning bush, but they don't know what it is. And we don't have a category for it because it's weird, it's miraculous, it's a bush on fire that's not consumed. Well, when you come to see what Moses' life is like, you find out that a burning bush is simply a common thing made uncommon by the presence of God. A burning bush is is a common thing, like our lives are filled with. Our lives are filled with common things. I heard a newsman one time, a a well-respected newsman, say something like, uh, most of the time, in most places in the world, for most people, nothing is happening. Here's a guy who makes his living by telling us, what's happening now? You know, there's got to be something happening now. He goes, most of the time, in most of the world, in most places, for most people, nothing is happening. Why? Because everything's ordinary. Everything's common. And a burning bush moment is simply when God takes a common thing and makes it uncommon because he shows up in it. Presence of God makes it uncommon. 
presence of God makes it a burning bush moment. You can't make it up. You can't make up burning bush moments. I know I've tried. You may have tried as well. Make things happen. Make it work. Fit it in. We had a guy we were looking, we were, years ago, before we, had, we brought Josh in to be our worship leader, years ago, we were trying to find a new worship leader for our church. And so we're doing the nationwide search. We're interviewing people. And I found this one guy. Somebody referred me to this one guy named Troy. And he was a great guy. He was a great worship leader. I'm like, he would be perfect for Lakeside Church. And so I called him up. I said, I got your name from somebody. Would you apply? Would you give us a resume? He said, no, I'm really happy where I am. He was serving a church down in L.A. somewhere. He's like, this, it's, it's great. God wants me here. This is great. I said, well, would you just come up for an interview? He's like, I don't know, free trip to Sacramento. Sure, I'll come. So he gets on a plane, comes up. We spent a few days together. And as we're talking at dinner one night, he said something like this. He goes, you know, Brad, I really like Lakeside Church. It seems like a really great church. You got a lot of great people there. You got a lot of great stuff going on. I really like Lakeside Church, but I just feel like God has put me where he wants me to be already and I'm happy there my family loves it there it's just like I I just think we're supposed to stay there he goes it would take a burning bush experience for me to come took him to the hotel that night picked him up for breakfast the next morning got to eat so we're sharing these meals together and I picked him up the next morning went to breakfast and he said kind of the same thing at breakfast he's like yeah I really love lakeside but I'm getting on the plane today and I probably won't come back because I just think God has me where he wants me Lakeside's a great church, but it would take a burning bush experience for me to come. I called John Norris, our director of facilities. I said, John, go to Home Depot and get a bush. <laughs> get a bush, get some lighter fluid, and get ready to light that thing up, because I want this guy to come. So sure enough, I gave him a signal. We went through the rest of the morning, and I was bringing him back onto the campus later that morning. I said, John, I'm going to text you from my, from my car when we're pulling onto the, into the driveway on the campus you know, have the bush ready up in front of the office, and when I give you the signal, light it on fire. We're going to pull around the corner, and there it's going to be. He's going to go, oh, I have to come here. We drive up the driveway, and I see John. When he sees my car, I see John. He goes running behind the other bushes by the office windows. Now, I look at the bush right smack in the middle of the sidewalk in front of the office door, and it's got nothing happening. No smoke, no flame, no spark of life. Just a big pool of gasoline. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up because it doesn't work. Burning bush is a common thing made uncommon not by your ingenuity, made uncommon not by your skill, made uncommon not by your expertise. A burning bush is a common thing made uncommon by the presence of God. A burning bush is a holy moment. A common moment made holy by the presence of God. And that's where Moses is with God on the backside of Horeb or Sinai. Burning bush moments. You have them in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have them in your life. You may have one, you may have six, you may have 60. I don't know how many you have. I have burning bush moments in my life. They were common, ordinary moments, but they were made uncommon because God showed up in them. And my life changed because of them. One was when I was eight years old, and I went every week. This elderly woman in our, in our neighborhood, Mrs. Hampton, she invited all the neighborhood kids into her house, and she told us Bible stories, and we sang Bible songs, and she gave us Bible brownies, and, you know, those kind of, I don't 
food she gave us. And so we had this fun time every week. And one day she asked us this really profound theological question. She said to the children, how many of you children want to go to heaven when you die? Is that like a trick question? Because even as an eight-year-old, I'm like, there's heaven and there's the other way. It's like, so how many of you want to go to heaven? I'm like, I do, I do. She goes, well, come talk to me after we get done with the club today, and I'll explain it. So she explains the whole gospel, what we put on the back of the program for you, the ABCs of faith. She just laid that out for me. And she said, if you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ, he will give you a relationship with God, which is the essence of heaven. And that's the day I put my faith in Jesus. That changed everything. That was a burning bush moment for me. In high school, when I was a freshman in high school, I had a friend who was a junior in high school. His name was Bruce, and he said, hey, Brad, would you, like to, would you like to study the Bible with me? I didn't even know you could read the Bible. I grew up in church and didn't know, I didn't know like it had stories in it. He goes, would you like to study the Bible? I said, that would be amazing. That changed the path of my life. That was a burning bush moment for me. An ordinary moment on a high school campus made holy because God showed up there. That's a burning bush moment. That's where Moses is on the far side of the wilderness. When you are on the run in your life, which you often are just because you're busy, not, you're, you're not on the run because you murdered somebody, most likely. There may be a couple of you in the room. But you're on the run, you're busy, you're going and going and going and pushing and making it happen. When you're on the run and you come across a burning bush, pull over. And stop and listen and watch for what God wants to do. And here's a, here's a common moment. I mean, we, we come to church every weekend. Here's a common moment. What makes it uncommon? What makes it a burning bush moment? It's when you begin to listen to the fact that God shows up here. When you're on the run, you come to a burning bush, pull over. And then go to verse 4. When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. God calls out to Moses and said, Moses, Moses. Moses comes over. He goes, that's close enough. He says, Moses, you are now on holy ground. And you find out that Moses hid from God. He's like, uh-oh, I'm in the presence of God now. And he hid his face from God because he was terrified. What he found out, and we, we, we began to find out last week through the story of Hagar, what he found out is the God who sees me sees right through me. That's why it's terrifying to come into connection with God sometimes because the God who sees me sees right through me. The God who sees you sees right through you. Moses is afraid because he knows that God is holy, holy, holy. Sometimes I wonder if atheism is on the rise in our culture because we haven't done a very good job of describing completely who God is. We're so prone to say about God, God is my friend, God is my buddy, God is my companion. Like we frolic through the park with our God. 
And maybe that can be true. I mean, certainly God is our friend. God is with us. God is personal with us. But God is also holy, holy, holy. We sometimes make God so much like us. We make God so much in our image. But he's not worth following. If God were simply in my image, you would would not want to follow him. Well, I would not want to follow him. If God is just in your image, I don't want to follow him. If God's not bigger and greater and more holy than we are, he's not worth following. But Moses hid his face from God because he recognized that God was holy, holy, holy. And the God who sees me sees right through me. And God says to Moses, Moses, take your shoes off. And Moses says, excuse me? I'm making this part of the dialogue up, just... Disclaimer. God says, Moses, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. Moses goes, I I don't get that. God goes, take your shoes off. Moses goes, why? We don't have any precedent for that. Why does God say to Moses, take your shoes off? Because you're on holy ground. You go, well, that's why, because you're on holy ground. Yeah, but what does that have to do with it? Let's practice. Let's take your shoes off. Do you have shoes on today? All right. Take them off. Go ahead. Right there. Uh, unless you're worried about, you know, consequences. You, you decide for yourself or your neighbor can let you know. Why do you think God said, hey, Moses, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. What difference does that make? Now, Moses didn't wear cowboy boots. You know, unfortunate for him, he probably just had sandals, and they probably just had about, I figure, a quarter of an inch of elevation. You know, so when I take my shoes off, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more of a come down, actually. But um, <laughs> he's got maybe a quarter of an inch of shoe leather, and God says, I want you to take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Why does he do that? There is no place in literature that tells us. There's no precedent. There's nothing that comes before this that says, hey, whenever you get to a place that's really holy, take your shoes off. There's there's nothing in the commandments which comes after that anyway. There's nothing in the book of Genesis that comes in. There's nothing from another culture that says, hey, when you're in a holy spot, take your shoes off. So why did God say that? I can't tell you. Because I don't know for sure, but I'll give you some thoughts. Maybe God says, Moses, take your shoes off because he's trying to um, mitigate against a quick departure. Right? I mean, Moses, you're on holy ground and I'm going to give you a mission like, no, I'm out of here. No, you're not out of here, not so fast because you've got to put your sandals on because you've got hundreds of miles of desert between you and the next place. And you're not running quickly across the desert without sandals on. Maybe God's just saying, be here for a moment. Maybe when you get to holy ground, God just wants to say to you, be here for a moment. Boy, that's really hard in our culture, to be here for a moment with God. It's holy. It's a holy moment. It's a burning bush moment. Just be here for a moment. Maybe that's what God's doing. Maybe God is... um, providing an opportunity for humility for us. 
I think there's something about this where we just say, there's not, there's not much elevation I'm getting. There's, I'm not getting much taller because I got these shoes on, but I'm going to get right down to the ground. Moses, you're on holy ground. There's something about the ground in the story. In fact, there's something about ground in the, in the beginnings of the scripture. If you go back to, to Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve were walking away from God, where they rejected God's instructions... And God gives the curse to each one of them, and the curse that lands on Adam actually lands on the ground. And then God says to Adam, you're going to return to the ground someday because dust you are, and to dust you will return. I think there's a sense in which when you come to God and he meets you in this holy moment that he says, I want you to humble yourself. Take your shoes off, get reconnected to the ground, or ground yourself. So that you have an opportunity to meet with God in this holy place. We know that the priests took this example from Moses. And so whenever they would go into the tabernacle or later after Solomon built it, they would go into the temple. They would go into those places barefoot. As a statement of their humility. And I think every mission that God calls us on to begins with humility. Begins with take off your shoes. When the ground is holy, take off your shoes. Be in the moment. Humble yourself before God. And then, verse 7, here's the rest of the story. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, Moses. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and Termites. Sorry. It's far side. I just can't get past it. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Stop there for just a second, little added thing. That's not a very helpful sign. I mean, don't you think God said, you know, I'd rather have a sign. Moses said to God, I'd rather have a sign that I could see before I get done. God goes, look, when you get done with this whole mission I'm sending you on, you'll worship on this mountain. That will be your sign. Okay, step out in faith. Let's go. Verse 12. No, verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Same thing God said to Hagar last week in Genesis 16. He says to Moses now, I have seen your misery. I've seen the misery of my people. When you are on the backside of the wasteland in your life, God sees you. And if you are living in misery, God sees you. He sees you. And if he sees you, he hears you. And if he hears you, it's because he's with you. God says to Moses, I've seen the misery of my people. 
He says, I've heard their cry, so you, Moses, I've heard their cry, so you go. I'm sending you. And Moses asks our question. We would ask exactly the same question if we were in Moses' spot. He asks our question. He goes, who am I? I mean, who am I to go do this? God, you've got a lot of people you could draw on. Who am I? And God could have said, well, Moses, you happen to be the son of Pharaoh. That's who you are. You happen to have the best education in the world. That's who you are. You happen to have some free time. That's who you are. But God doesn't give him any of that stuff. Moses giving him these objections like, God, who am I? I? I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I stutter. I have a speech impediment. I can't. I, 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 I. Who am I? And God goes, you're asking the wrong question. We always ask the wrong question. We go, who am I? I don't have the right stuff. God goes, the question is not who are you. The question is who am I? Your question is not who am I, it's who is God. It matters who God is much more than it matters who you are. God can work through any one of us. God is willing and eager to work through any one of us if we're willing to go. And the reason God puts holy moments into our lives, the reason God puts burning bush moments into our lives is because he's getting ready to send us And he says, and I will be with you. Moses says, yeah, but if I get down there and they ask me, which God sent you? Because they were used to a lot of gods. They go, tell us what this God's name is. He, He says, just tell them this. I am who I am has sent you. You go, that's a funky name. I am who I am. Yeah, what God's saying is I'm not the God of the past. He doesn't say, I used to be the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not the God of the past. I'm not even the God of the future so much. I'm the God of right now. I am who I am. I am the great present tense. I am who I am right now. Because he could say to Moses, Moses, you know, I know you're running from your past. I know you got a shady past. That whole murder thing, I know that. And sometimes we all get bogged down in our past. Like, oh, I got all this stuff from my past. I'll never get past that baggage. God says, I know you've got baggage from your past, but I'm not about that. I'll forgive you for it, but I'm not worried about that. And God could have said to Moses, I know you don't have much of a future here with those few sheep out here in the desert. Where's where's the future in sheep? I don't even have much of a future, but I'm not really worried about the future. I'm worried about right now. I'm the God of right now. I am who I am. And when you get to Egypt, tell them that. I am who I am has sent you on a mission. God meets you in a holy moment at a burning bush. And then he sends you, accept the mission. You might not get confirmation until after it's over, but accept the mission. God sends you, accept the mission. Father in heaven, thanks for your grace to us. I'm grateful to you for all that you do among us. Lord, lead us on the mission you have for us. Make the way for us. Inspire us by your presence. Fill us with your presence. 
and then lead us to serve you with faith, with faithfulness, every day in the mission you call us to. Amen.